we've been talking about margin and mission, just that need for us to create space in our lives. We do better as people when we have a little margin and when we have mission, right? So we've been talking about rest. That was week one. We talked about the need to sleep and to take breaks. That's good news to start a new year, right? Week two, we talked about margin in our time, in our schedules, just creating space, letting go of things that have been fillers that we've just kind of filled gaps with to focus on and to lay hold of that, which is, is more important. We talked about margin in our emotional life last week, uh, being healthy emotionally and having emotional margin. Today, we're going to talk about margin in our finances And then we're going to have some experiential events this week to help us just go deeper in this. So on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're having a community fast. Now you might be like, oh, I've never fasted before. What is that? Fasting is the laying aside of one thing to lay hold of something greater or better. And so biblically, when we see fasting, typically it's laying aside food for a season. Maybe a meal, maybe a couple meals, maybe all three days of our fast, right? Taking time, like maybe you're going to fast lunches. And so you say, you know, your coworkers are going out to lunch. Like, guys, I'm just going to stay back today. Get in your little cubicle with your, you know, earphones and, and worship and pray and just create some margin, some space to meet with God here in January, right? It's going to be October before you know it, right? It's just the year passes like that. And so we want to take advantage of just creating some space. Maybe this fast for you is, hey, I'm going to shut off kind of my, my Facebook and Insta, whatever, and Snap and all this and, and Netflix. And, and just I'm just going to create some space in my schedule just to meet with the Lord. A media fast for a couple of days, right? Creating margin. And then on Thursday night, we're going to rally up here at 6, from 6 to 7, for a night of intercession. Intercession is a fancy word for prayer. So if you want to sound fancy, we're going to to have intercession. Uh, We're going to have a time of prayer on Thursday evening where we're going to pray for World Mandate. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to just be seeking the Lord together. And then Friday night, all day Saturday and Sunday morning, the World Mandate Conference. We're going to hear from Francis Chan. That'll be awesome. We're going to hear from a woman who's a missionary in Africa. She's going to talk to us about God and suffering. That'll be powerful. We're going to hear from a gentleman from Oklahoma City that's going to talk to us about the gospel and racial reconciliation. Saturday night, we're going to hear from Jimmy Seibert, the leader of Antioch Waco, who's going to talk to us about having faith for more in this upcoming year. And then on Sunday, yours truly will be here, and we're going to talk about how are we going to live this out as a community in 2017. How are we going to take steps forward? So incredible time for you and me, for us, just to block out an evening, block out a weekend, come up, be a part, make some space, let God renew some things in you as we head into 2017. If you want to be a part, they're passing out info cards in the lobby, or you can go on the website and sign up. So super excited. Love for you to take part in any and all of those things this week. With, uh, with that, second big announcement, you guys know that we have wrapped up our That We May uh, initiative. Really excited about that. So we're moving church buildings. If you're new with us, this 
facility will be here no longer sometime this spring. And so we're moving. God is moving us, praise God, to a facility about two miles up the road, just on 635. Many of you have been there. Many of you have prayed over it, worshiped there with us, given to it. And so to fund this move, we sought to raise $150,000 to pay for kind of furnishing this place. We had a giving day in October, October the 30th. December the 4th, January the 8th, first giving day, $30,000 was raised. That's amazing. I mean, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money. Second giving day, another $58,000. Again, wow, amazing. And then we did 21 days of prayer from December the 18th to January the 8th. I love this. Uh, 70 of y'all said, hey, I'll pray every day for God to provide the money. And in that little window, I don't have the exact number, but in that time period, I think another $68,000 came in. Amazing. God provides through his people and through the prayers of his people. Then we had our final giving day, grand total, little drum roll, little drum roll. Come on back row. Y'all got it. Participatory. Okay. Our final total is approximately $175,000. Unbelievable. Way to go. Way to go. So super excited. We also had uh, permits that we've been waiting on from the city. We've been kind of blocked up there. Come through this last week. So in the last, it seems like we're getting some, some momentum. Really excited. But I want to honor you before we go on. I know for many of you, this might have been the first time in your life that you gave to something of the Lord, that you gave to, to a church or to a purpose like this, and I just want to commend you. I want to commend you for in a generation that says, live for yourself, prioritize yourself, be about yourself, that Jesus has done something in you, that you've seen something of his goodness and his grace, that you said, hey, I'm going to give of the resources that I've been given, I'm going to give into this work of God. I want to honor you. That's an amazing step. Way to go. Way to go. Just know that I am cheering you on. I know for others of you, you gave in such a way that it felt costly. Where it was like, oh, this wasn't just kind of, I had this money just sitting around, didn't really need it. But it was like, ooh, I could have done a lot of different things with that money. And you gave. And I want to honor you as well. Thank you for giving into this. I, I love in this campaign that it wasn't like one person wrote a check for $174,000 and the rest of us chipped in 1000 The story of this campaign was lots of people giving gifts that of various sizes, that it was a community effort. And that was my hope when we started, was that this wouldn't be the, the hope or desire of a few people wouldn't be one kind of person just underwriting the whole thing, but that this would be a sign of the work that God is doing in us as a community, of touching people's hearts, of renewing people's hearts, of putting vision in people's hearts, and this would be an, an us thing. And you guys did that, and I just, yeah, just want to honor you, want to celebrate what God has done through you. Thank you for being a part. So I'll keep updating you over the coming weeks as things move forward, but if you're looking for things to pray for, definitely be praying into that, uh, as you've ever done a move or a renovation, there's all sorts of variables with that. All right, talking about missions, talking about, you know, going places. Who in here has traveled a lot? You say, yeah, I've traveled a fair amount in my life. We've got a few, few hands. I've traveled a fair amount, and you know when you travel to other places, 
when you leave this nation we call Texas, even to go to a different state or maybe a different country, they just have different ways of doing things, just different ways of doing life. And, uh, you know, we, uh, my wife and I, we lived in North Africa for several years. If you're new with us, I'll reference that a lot. It was a major uh, uh, season in our lives, but it's also a good place to tell stories from. So I'm going to tell you a story about North Africa. In being there, the nation that we live was a third world country, and they had a different relationship to heating and air conditioning than this Texas boy is used to, right? Texas people, we keep the AC on 10 months out of the year, at least, and when we leave our house, we go get in our car as quickly as possible to get the AC back on, right? We're just AC people. And those two months or maybe six weeks, depending on the winter season that year, we'll turn the heater on. That's how we do life. That's just the way we are. Well, in this country, they didn't really do the whole AC thing. And I remember getting there and being like, hey, uh, it's hot. How do we, you know, cool it off in here? And just like, that's just life, man. And so it took some adjustment. I remember in particular going down to visit these new believers in a different city. It was summertime, and they were wanting to start a life group. And one of the ways people in this country adjusted to the heat was when it got hot, they would adjust the schedule of the day. So things would open later. There would be a country nap time in the middle of the day. You might like that suggestion. So you'd go to a place and, you know, it'd be about one. They'd be like, oh, we're closed. When are you going to open back up? Ah, when the owner is done taking his nap. Um, You know, so they would try and sleep through the heat of the day, and they'd stay open later. Well, these guys, uh, kind of in that hot season, so people were already staying up late, it was not culturally um, permissible to be a follower of Jesus. And so they wanted to meet in secret. Uh, And so our life group time, you think when your life group starts, maybe 6, maybe 6.30, maybe if you're crazy, 7.30. These guys wanted to start the life group time at 1.30 to 2 in the morning was a starting point. Now, I'm a parent. My my days of staying up that late are are gone unless it's to wake up and and feed a child. And and so I was like, oh, this is going to be tough. You know, so you're kind of taking your caffeine during the day to get yourself up, right? But this is when they want to do it. So we'd meet from 1.30 or 2 in the morning, and they like to hang out. So this meeting would last till 3.30 or 4 in the morning, seeking the Lord. You know, you're like, this is awesome, and I'm tired. And then they say, hey, you know, it's in a different city, so they invite me over to their parents' house, you know, to sleep for a couple hours. Again, no AC, so hot. We go over, I just remember it like it was yesterday. It's 4 in the morning, very tired. We go to this guy's parents' house, and I try and lay down, There's no AC, and it's so humid and so hot, and I literally think, this is what it's like to try and sleep in hot soup. (laughs) Like, think if you were to try and sleep each night in hot soup, that's what it was, that's what it was like. I just remember laying there and being like, oh my goodness, I can't breathe, it's so humid, so hot, can the sun just come up so we can just skip this thing we call sleep? I mean, it was it was rough, right? So I had to get used to summers, had to get used to the winters. They didn't really do heating like we do it. Uh, electricity, very expensive there. So electric heaters, not so much. No central heating and air. The main thing they would use were these kind of um, portable heaters that were fueled by butane. And so if you think like your, your grill that you go and get a propane tank for, they would have a similar idea filled with butane. And you would set it in the heater, then you would light it, and the gas would burn and heat the house. 
So this was this was interesting to me. I, I was like, okay, I guess this is how we how we do it. But you could still smell kind of that butane smell while it was burning. So I never really got into them. And then they told me what happens every year to people who aren't very careful about these butane heaters. They said that they would pull them into their bedroom, you know, want to keep it warm, have the whole family in there, close the door, keep it warm, and there would be a gas leak from the butane. This poisonous gas would fill the room, and every year there would be individuals and families that suffocated from these butane heater leaks. Leaks. They told me that story. I was like, I'm just going to learn how to deal with the cold. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll learn the layer deal, and we'll just be fine. Because I, 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 that, I don't want to mess like, with that. Now, why do I tell you this story? Why, why, are we, why are we just telling? Are we telling random stories today at church? No, there's a point. When we talk about these topics from margin and mission, rest, time, emotional margin, finances, these are all topics, areas of life that can if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, if we're not proactive, become like those butane heaters, right? Where we get comfy, we get cozy, we just, well, this is just the way things are, and they end up choking the life out of us. You don't rest well, man, it eats you up. You don't have a a margin in your time or margin in your emotions, you get destroyed, Finances are right in the same thing. It's just this thing that can be like a, a poisonous gas that just asphyx, asphyxiates us, and we don't even realize that it's coming. So we're going to talk today about margin and mission in the area of finances. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 13 through 15. We're going to read the words of Jesus here And so we're going to start out, and it says, this is Luke writing, someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what's going on? Jesus is teaching. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is healing the sick. He's making disciples. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. And so somebody, we don't know if it's a male or a female, we don't know, comes up to Jesus And says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you are a parent of multiple kids or you grew up in a household with multiple kids, you know what's about to happen here. Jesus says to him or her, no, it says to him, but Jesus said to him, man, who made you a judge or arbiter or who made me a judge or arbiter over you? A.K.A. ain't nobody got time for that, right? When your kids come up to you, mom, dad, so-and-so won't let me have the toy in there. You don't have time for that, right? Or when you were a kid and you went to your parents, like, don't have time for that. Jesus, ain't nobody got time for that. Turn to your neighbor and just say it. It's fun to say. Ain't nobody got time for that. Good. We're having fun. Okay, so then Jesus goes on, and he does say in verse 15, Jesus said to them that were there, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. What is covetousness? It's greed. It's desire for your neighbor's stuff. Right? It's like, ooh, I like that. I need that. I deserve that. He said, be on your guard against all covetousness. 
Why? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus says, watch out for this covetousness that's common to all of us because underlying that desire is a belief that that these people then, and I would argue that you and I, so easily buy into that our life consists of the abundance or lack thereof of our possessions. Now, when we think about this, let me just paint a picture. If you are driving through a neighborhood and you see a house, and you're like, oh, man, I deserve a house like that. That, that, that. I like that house. If I could just get that house, man, things will be made. Or my car's kind of run down. What, look at this car. I deserve a car like that. I should get a car like that. If I had a car like that, or do you see what that person's wearing? Do you see the clothes that they're wearing or their kids are wearing or the vacation that they're going? I deserve something like that. If I could just get that, right, life would be made. We're so easily, at least it's me. I mean, I've been thinking about this all week. At least I'm bought into that so many times. Maybe you find yourself there too. And Jesus is saying, be on your guard against that way of thinking, against that belief system, because like those butane heaters, what starts out is like, oh, that's innocent, that's, that's, that's nice, becomes one of those things that chokes the life out of us. Listen to this quote by Jim Carrey. Yes, funny man, Jim Carrey. I think everyone should get rich and be famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. I think everyone should get rich and be famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Now, you know what's really, we, we kind of ooh and ah at that quote. You know what's amazing, at least for me, is I'm like, Jim, I think I'd like to try you out on that. <laughs> right? And I just see, oh, my goodness, I, I have this thing in me that's just so prone to that way of, of thinking. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, as Dallasites, 2017, we're a lot closer to the thought process and the belief system that our life, that true life, that real life, though we wouldn't articulate, we don't want to come out and look greedy. When we talk about what's on the inside, they were a whole lot more close to saying, man, I actually do think that. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, uh, Patriots quarterback, playing today. Annual household income, $76 million. Wow. Married to a supermodel, has a number of Super Bowl rings. Some say he's the greatest quarterback ever, right? He has all those achievements. He says, you know what? I think there's more to life than this. Like what I have, there's just something else that I need. And most of us look at that and be like, no, I think you have the things that I think would make me happy, right? Uh, Kobe Bryant, famous basketball player, similar type achievements, and says, I don't believe there's such a thing in life as happiness, So has it all, no happiness. Wow. Let me read you a couple just interesting research pieces as we talk about this. Uh, Harvard economist Juliet Shore did a study of American spending habits. Her research revealed that two-thirds of Americans, so people like you and me, with an annual income exceeding $107,000, okay? So making more than $107,000, maybe that's some of us in the room, 
Some of us would look at that and say, hey, that's a good salary. Some of us are there or above, and we're just like, okay. Two-thirds of Americans that make that much money felt they would not be satisfied until their salaries were 50 to 100% higher. So think about that. They're making good money. You make 107k a year, you're making good money. And yet there's this thing that's like, man, I need I need another 50%. I need another 100%. If I could just get to 100%, then I would be happy. And so on and so forth up the income level. Madeline Levine, who is a psychiatrist who works closely with teens from affluent homes. In her book, The Price of Privilege, writes, America's newly identified at-risk group are preteens and teens from affluent, well-educated families. In spite of their economic and social advantages, these children of influence experience among the highest rates of depression, substance abuse, anxiety disorders, somatic complaints, and unhappiness of any group of children in our country. Man. This is powerful stuff to think about for people, at least if you're like me, that are so prone to think, man, life consists in what I have or what I don't have or if I could just have a little bit more of this or that. And then when we look at the words of Jesus and we see him speaking, hey, be on your guard for your life does not consist of these things. How can Jesus say that? How can he identify that? How can he do that? Because what he's trying to lead us into, what he's trying to show us, is that he is the life that we've been looking for. The life that you and I are looking for, that we're just like, oh, a nicer car, oh, a little more money in the bank, oh, this vacation or this trip or these clothes. Jesus is like, no, it's not going to meet your need, but I will meet your need. He's trying to set us free. Not trying to lay some heavy burden on you. He's trying to say, just like that butane tank, that thing is killing you, choking the life out of you. And I've come that you could know me and find in me the treasure that your heart is looking for. We say it a lot around here that Jesus did not come primarily to give us treasure. Although he does bless people, he came primarily to be our treasure. That in him, wow. We have life, and you have life. And this belief system that when we go home today and you watch the football games, every commercial that plays is playing off this belief system that we have, buy this, do this, look this way, and you'll have life. Everything is feeding into this propensity that we have to believe that Jesus is speaking to us. And he's saying, no, 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 I've got something much better for you. That other way is barking up the wrong tree, climbing up the, long, the wrong ladder, promising life but failing to deliver. Come to me and I will give you life. Now, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like margin. That sounds like, I can breathe. And Jesus is life. That sounds like mission, like something worth living for more than just the next iPhone upgrade, though we wouldn't be so bold to say that's what I'm living for is somehow on the inside. I just line up at the store, just waiting for that new thing to come out. And Jesus is trying to give us real life. So each message that we've talked about 
uh, rest, time, emotions, and now finances. We've talked about different practices, different rituals, different rhythms that we can do to help us experience the margin and the mission that God has for us. So on rest, we talked about taking breaks, taking time off, sleep. What was the application point from the sermon this week? It was to make sure I take breaks this week. That sounds like good news, right? We talked about that. We talked about in our time letting go of things that are like, you know what, that's just filling space, but it's not giving me any margin. Letting go of lesser things to lay hold of that, which is better. Emotional margin. We talked about pouring our hearts out to the Lord and finding him as our refuge. So if this topic finances, if that belief system that I would put before you is more common than we realize in our lives, if we've been discipled in this way and Jesus is trying to rework something, what, what can we do about it? How can we change what we love? Like if we love pursuing abundance of possessions, how do we change it if it's killing us? Right? So I want to give you some rituals some rhythms, some practices that you could partake of that we as a community are seeking to build around so that we can walk in the freedom and the life that Jesus desires us to have, okay? And I've looked through church history, past generations. That's the other thing that's important is we're not the first Christians to have wrestled with this. You're not the first person trying to follow Jesus that God's at work in your life, and you're trying to wrestle with, well, how did I walk free of that, right? We have a rich plethora of resources of saints from ages gone past who have sought to live this out faithfully, and we can learn from what they've done and then let the Spirit of God speak to us through His Word on how to apply that in your particular situation or mine, okay? So here's the question we're going to spend the rest of our seven minutes on before we have our time of reflection. How have God's people been on guard against the poisonous ideas of life consisting in the abundance of our possessions in past generations? So how have they been on guard? Number one, they've adopted the practice of tithing. Tithing. Now hear me out. When God redeemed his people out of Egypt, he brought them out of slavery, out of bondage. He set them free. He brought them into a land the Bible describes overflowing with milk and honey. That means good, right? He brought them into a good place, and they're going to work, and they're going to prosper financially in that place, right? So God knows the same thing that, that we struggle with, they struggle with, of now saying, okay, well, my life consists in the abundance of what I have, my life is wrapped up in what my crops do, how big my land is, how big my house is. Like that's just the propensity that we can veer to. So God established the practice of tithing. What is tithing? Tithing for them was bringing 10% of the produce of their crops, of the land, bringing that to the temple, a.k.a. their local church, the place where they worshiped, right? They would bring that. And they would give it to the Lord through the church. And those resources, they funded worship going up. They funded the proclamation of God's word. They funded prayer. But it was a statement that was at the center of my life, at the, 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 the crux of who I am, the anchor, the, the focal point of my life is not what crops I'm growing this season. 
is not how big my fields are, how fat my sheep are, all those other things. The most important thing about me is that Jesus is at the center. Think about that, of saying, God, you are, you're number one. You're right here. You're what I'm centering my life around. Because the story of my life is that I was a slave in Egypt. I had nothing and I was in chains. And God, in your mercy, you pursued me. You ransomed me. You brought me out. That's a defining thing about my life. And so when they would embrace this practice of tithing, they would bring that tithe to the temple year after year after year, and they would be reminded and renewed of what was really important. And somehow in that practice, you can see if you put yourself in their place, it would attack those prying lies of your life consists in the abundance of what you have. Other interesting thing about the tithe is that it was from the first fruits. It was from the front end of what they had, not the back end. Now think about this if you're a farmer, right? You have harvest time at different times in the year, different crops. You don't know what's going to happen, right? You don't know if in September there's going to be a hailstorm that's going to wipe out the, the zucchini crop. You don't know. You don't know what's coming in November. You don't know if your sheep that year are going to get some sort of disease and die. And yet you're taking from the first fruits from the beginning and you're giving that to the Lord. It's very different mindset than if you wait till the end of the year and you say, well, how was this year? This was a good year. I'll give a lot. This is a lean year. Uh, no, you're taking in faith. So think about the radical step it would be to say, God, I'm saying again, as I look to the future, the abundance of my life does not consist, or the, my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. You are the source of my life. You are my hope. You are my security. You are my supply. So I'm laying this before you in faith that as I look to the future, it's going to cause me to be dependent on you. As you go throughout the year, it's like, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you to provide. We did have that hailstorm. We did have the sheep get that, but God, I'm looking to you. You are my provider. And you can start to see if you put yourself in their shoes and you were to adopt this practice, how it would shape your heart, how it would set you free from that killer lie that's seeking to choke the life out. Second thing that they did was they gave themselves to rest and celebration, a.k.a. holidays, vacations, parties. Hello. They took time to take breaks. They were to set aside from their crops resource all year long in order to take a break and to celebrate and to enjoy God and to enjoy one another. Now think about that. We are so tempted to define ourselves by our profession. What are you? I'm a teacher. What are you? I'm a doctor. What are you? I'm a lawyer. What are you? I'm a house painter. We're so tempted for that just to be the source of our identity, and yet they've given themselves to this practice of vacation and holiday and celebration to say, no, there is more to my life than just the work that I do. There's more to my life than just the abundance of my possessions, that I'm more than that that I'm one who's made in the image of God. There's more to me than just those things. My life is greater than the sum of what I have or what I could buy. And they would celebrate in that. They would rejoice in that. They would take fields and they would say, okay, this is your year off. They'd give fields a whole year off. Take a break. They had disciplined seasons of holidays where it's like, no, we don't work today. We party. We, we, we enjoy today. 
And we remember the God who brought us out and the God who made us more than just the sum of the work of our hands. Now think about for us, how tempted are we just to define our life by our career and how it's going? And here, this embrace of of recreation, of holiday, of vacation, is something to fight against that. What if the application point, what if one of them for you was to use all your vacation days this year? Was to work really hard when you're at work and then to take time off to remind yourself, my life is more than just the sum of my possessions. Third thing they would do is that they would give to those in need. They would regularly be giving to the needs of the poor, of the foreigner, of the outcast, of those in their community that just faced hard situations. They would give financially. They would sell possessions to rally around people. And you can see this lifestyle of embracing these things. Maybe not month one. Maybe month one you're like, ooh, that hurt. Month two, month three, year four, year five, year 40, year 50. And you can start to see like the way the water cuts a path in the dirt. You can start to see a new way of living, a new value system, not ruled by what you own, not defining yourself by the possessions you have or don't have, but a different way of life. You can see freedom if you're like, if, if, yeah, I can see how that would make a difference. So question for us as we, as we close is how would the Spirit of God speak to you through, if we can put those words, the words of Jesus back up, how would the Spirit of God speak to you and me and to our community today? What are the rhythms, the rituals, the practices that he's calling us to adopt in order to walk in the freedom that he has for us? He set us free. He doesn't want you to go back to being a captive right? So maybe for you, it's to tithe. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to take a step this year, and God, I'm going to set apart. I'm going to give the first 10% of my paycheck. I'm going to set it up, and I'm going to tithe this year. Maybe that's the application for you. I don't know, but the Spirit of God does. Maybe for you, it is to take all your vacation days. Maybe you're like, I tithe. I work really hard, but honestly, I work too much, and it's January. Go ahead and plan in your vacation. Maybe that's the application point for you. Maybe I had someone come up to me in the last service and say, hey, we, we, we uh, got into this a while back, and we started our own uh, mercy fund as a family where we started accruing just a portion of our, of our paycheck, and we just set it aside to give. When there was a need that arose, we would have money saved ready to give to someone. And we could say, hey, this money is for you. Wow, what if? That might be how the Spirit of God is leading you to be on guard this year. I don't know, but the Spirit does. And so we're going to take the next five minutes, if we can get the band to come up, to do like we've been doing, to take time to reflect, to be be thoughtful, to chew on, to, to marinate in this Scripture and there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Listening, it's just kind of like, oh, it goes, oh, you know, over my head. I heard, I mean, you know, it just went by. Hearing is like when we take it in, when we open our hearts, and we're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up. Again, this word is not to beat you up. This word is to build you up. Jesus is not trying to be a kill joy. He's trying to be a, a give joy, right? He's trying to make you aware of, hey, that butane tank, that everyone else has and that everyone else is real comfortable with, 
is choking the life out of them. And I have more for you than that. So as the band leads us just kind of in some, some, some music, let's reflect on the words of Jesus behind us and let God speak to our hearts here in 2017. I want to invite you to just keep reflecting um, on the scripture and we're going to sing a song that may be new for some of you. Um, feel free to just sit and receive it or sing along um, or stand or sit, it doesn't matter. And we're going to sing this over you guys.
take this life and breathe on this heart that is not yours. You can hide it all, every part of my world. Take this life and
Take this life and breathe. 